Hey, hey, how's everybody doing? Hoping you're having a fantastic day. Uh, I was just doing uh, some of my reading this morning. I like to read through a little bit of St. Thomas's biblical commentaries every day. I find them to be very enlightening. And he went on a bit of a tangent uh, in the reading. Uh, this is Romans chapter 2, lecture 1. He went on a bit of a tangent, and I found it to be fantastic. And I just wanted to uh, share it with all of you because I think it's very helpful uh, for thinking through some of these issues because I'm sure everybody's been in a situation. Uh, maybe you grow up in a nominally religious environment and then you somehow come back to the faith. Or maybe you grew up in a non-religious environment and have found the faith. And you really, you're really excited about it. You, you want to spread it. You want to tell people about it. You, you see something happening around you that, that's wrong. And you want to you want to speak up for it. You, you want to you want to say something. So you say something. You you try uh, to be uh, humble in your disposition, and you get shot down with the old "judge not." It's seen as a uh, a sort of blanket um, guard against any sort of moral correction, which of course um, most of the people that like to shoot back with the the old "judge not." Uh, seem to be the ones who uh, fall into the vice of um, inordinate judging the most. Uh, so, so it's kind of funny in that way. So it can also, uh, after, uh, well, at least due to that difficulty that we may have, um, we fall into one or two, one of two uh, sort of extremes when it comes to the way in which we're viewing uh, moral correction. On the one hand, we can become uh, even more rigorous and uh, we can find um, a certain interesting way of reading um, uh, Matthew 7, 1. Uh, we can read it in a very interesting way uh, as to uh, not exclude any sort of inordinate judging. Uh, we become, uh, in, in a certain way, very rigorous in the way in which we approach other people. Uh, we, we think that in any sort of case, uh, we have the right and the obligation of saying something. That, that's, that's one extreme. On the other side, a lot of us can kind of just give up. We, uh, we, we don't want the sort of awkwardness that comes from these uh, judging situations, having to um, explain things. And, and it feels like we're, we're, in a certain sense, coping. So a lot of people will uh, just become excusers. Uh, this, this tends to be uh, something that liberal Catholics fall into more than others. They uh, may want to become uh, so welcoming to the person, which is fine, that they begin to uh, become uh, justifiers of other people's sinfulness. So St. Thomas uh, deals with this and gives us some important distinctions for proper versus improper uh, judgment so we don't fall into either one of these extremes. Uh, he's doing this at, in the beginning of Romans 2, which is an interesting place. Because if you know your book of Romans, and uh, you should, if not, you should, uh, you should definitely study the book of Romans. It's one of the most important books of the Bible. Definitely the most important epistle of St. Paul. In Romans 1, 
St. Paul has his little introductory statements and such. And then he goes into a condemnation of the Gentiles. He shows how the Gentiles are falling into these various uh, wickednesses. He even mentions um, the sin of sodomy, um, the, the disordered passions and lusts that have arisen from the Gentiles and from their rejection of uh, natural revelation. And then in chapter 2, he turns, and from tap, chapters 2 to 4, he turns not uh, to the Gentiles, but to the Jews. He shows how, even though they've been uh, the beloved of God, inheritor of the promises of God, that they have trusted in the law. They've trusted in the sacraments of the Old Testament, which uh, themselves are merely occasions of grace, not instruments of grace. They're occasions uh, of grace, kind of like how we would think of, uh, the best way of explaining it, how we would think of sacramentals. That's how the Old Testament sacraments were, because they were occasions for the contemplation of what is to come. Just as we look back uh, to, sorry, I need to plug in my laptop real quick. Just as we look back to uh, the coming of Christ, the Old Covenant Jews, in order to be saved, looked forward to the coming of Christ. But they didn't see the law and the Old Covenant sacraments as, as uh, in their proper uh, sort of place. Rather, they trusted in them um, and did not uh, look for grace, <coughs> but rather trusted in the law. So, uh, St. Thomas uh, deals with them in, uh, well, St. Paul deals with them in these chapters, and St. Thomas explains the dealing with in these chapters. So in chapter 2, he is uh, a bit going off uh, when it comes to the various things which the uh, Jews had put their trust in that they ought not to have put their trust in. And something that the Jews had done, and we see this uh, throughout the New Testament, <laughs> We especially actually see this in Galatians, um, and even uh, St. Peter fell into this. But the Jews uh, were very discriminatory towards the Gentiles. They, they would not uh, accept them into the church without going through the various processes of the laws, and these were called Judaizers. So uh, St. Paul condemns them uh, because in those various ways that the Jews had condemned the Gentiles, the Jews themselves had been sinning in that way. So this is sort of the occasion for St. Thomas's excursus on the proper and the improper uses of judgment. So um, he begins, this does not mean that every judgment is a cause of condemnation because the Jews in their judgment had been condemned. Why? He explains up here. Um, because their ignorance had been excluded since they condemned the Gentiles for some of the things that they were doing. For there are three kinds of judgment. One is just, i.e. made according to the rule of justice. Love justice, you rulers of the earth. So, to begin, there is just judgment. That is, judgment made according to the rule of justice. Another is not just, made contrary to the rule of justice. Although servants of his kingdom, you do not rule rightly. So condemning the innocent and uh, letting the guilty go. That is 
unjust judgment. And then third, there's actually a third case. And this one I think is the most important to recognize. And this is rash judgment. So this is judgment, which might actually be correct. But you don't know that. It's actually rash for you to make that judgment. Because you could uh, be proven wrong. You don't have correct grounds for making that judgment. So a rash judgment is made in two ways. In one way, when a person passes judgment on a matter committed to him without due knowledge of the truth, contrary to what is stated, I searched out the cause of him who I did not know. So in this way, you pass judgment on a matter committed to you without due knowledge of the truth. Because when, when you interact with certain situations, in some ways you can be relatively confident that you have enough data to make a judgment on. Um, like, let's say, uh, I, I don't know. I, I have two kids now, so I guess I guess uh, this is the context in which I'll speak of this. So I, I see my son hit my daughter, and she's crying, and I discipline him. That is, uh, that is not a rash judgment. That's a just judgment, because I have sufficient evidence for making that judgment. Or maybe uh, my wife calls me in and tells me that this is what Augustine, well, my son had done. That's another instance of making a just judgment. I'm not making a judgment rashly because I have adequate information, either directly or through indirectly through a trusted source. That's making a just judgment right there. But on the other hand, let's say I'm in the other room and I just hear her start starting to cry and I come in. And I decide that Augustine, uh, my, my, I'll just use his name. Uh, everybody knows his name. Augustine had done something wrong. In this case, uh, I would be uh, making a rash judgment because actually my daughter cries all the time for random reasons. Maybe she's hungry. Um, who, who knows? Uh, she could be crying just because she wants to be held. She could be crying for no apparent reason. Uh, maybe my son had accidentally uh, hurt her when he was trying to play with her. There's many different ways that this could go otherwise. So for me to judge that this is the case without adequate evidence, whether directly or indirectly, would be making a rash judgment. Or we can think of uh, other examples where we're getting indirect information that is untrustworthy, where I trust my my wife to give me the truth, Maybe in a different situation you could think about, you you know somebody who likes to spread rumors. Well, if you're talking to that person and they gave you the information, you're not going to want to trust it because they're not trustworthy. And you know that. So you would be responsible for making a rash judgment if you had judged in that way. So in another way, when a person presumes to judge about hidden matters of which God alone has the power to judge, contrary to what is stated, do not pronounce judgment for the time before the Lord come, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. So in this second way, you're judging about things which you cannot know about. So let's say this is about uh, the state of somebody's soul. Um, in, in a certain way, you can, you can judge about the objective moral value of their acts, sure. But the state of their soul is something which is, which is hidden. So you can't make absolute judgment on that issue. Or uh, future events. Um, you, you you definitely can't. Uh, you make educated guesses, but you can't make absolute judgments about those.
But some things are hidden not only in relation to us, but of their very nature, and so to belong to God's knowledge. First, the thoughts of the heart. Man's heart is deceitful and unsearchable. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the mind and try the hearts. So you can't judge the thoughts of somebody's heart. Second, the contingent future. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know you are God's. Hence, as Augustine says, there are two cases in which we must beware of rash judgment. When it is not certain in what spirit something was done, or when it is not certain how a person will turn out, who now appears to be good or to be wicked. The first judgment, so that is just judgment, is not a cause for condemnation. But the second and third, that is unjust judgment and rash judgment, are. Then when he says, for you do the same, he rejects the other excuse, namely innocence. As if to say, the reason why you, the judge of others, condemn yourself is that for you do the same thing which you judge, i.e. for which you condemn them. Consequently, it seems that you are acting against your conscience. Why do you see the speck in your own brother's eye, but do not notice a log in your own eye? So now he's going to have a, a very interesting uh, discussion, because this is uh, actually the direct con uh, uh, context of Matthew 7, is judging in a way which is hypocritical. That is judging uh, other people on matters that you struggle with that sin. Let's say you're just out there uh, condemning people for lust, yet you are a fornicator. That would be judgment which is hypocritical, which is the specific context of our Lord's admonition. And St. Thomas shows uh, the, the cases in which we can or cannot uh, judge in this way. However, it should be noted that it is not only always true when someone judges another concerning a sin which he himself commits, he automatically draws a condemnation upon himself because he does not always sin mortally by so judging, yet he always reveals his own damnation. So this, this part is important, is that you still, uh, whether maybe it's your office to judge in this way or maybe um, you are in, uh, otherwise compelled to judge in this way, you don't always sin mortally by judging this way, because sometimes you're required to, or sometimes it's prudent to. But to yourself, in making this judgment, you always condemn yourself. That's important. You always reveal your own damnation. And then there's a, a distinction he makes between um, two different uh, situations. For if he is publicly guilty of the sin concerning which he judges another, he seems to be giving scandal by judging. So if you're publicly guilty of a certain sin, let's say you're a, uh, your, your fornication is somehow um, just out there in the open and uh, everybody can see it. Uh, there, there's actually a case. Um, this reminds. Uh, okay. Somebody's asking um, what site I'm using. Aquinas.cc. So uh, there was a case I saw a while ago. Uh, this was going around Twitter. One of the women figures out there who is uh, super duper uh, trad wife moment. Uh, she was out there uh, talking about how terrible all these uh, all these promiscuous women are and blah, 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 blah. And then uh, pictures of her, uh, pornographic pictures of her had leaked. Um, after she had she had made that post. So in, in this case, you have somebody who is publicly guilty 
of a sin while condemning others. This is giving scandal. Because why is it giving scandal? Well, you have all these people who now um, somehow think that we fall into uh, universally the sin of hypocrisy, uh, that we are um, hypocrites. That's that's giving some sort of scandal. But actually, there is a case in which you can do this. Unless, perhaps, he humbly reproved himself along with the other and laments his sin. <coughs> Public sin... <laughs> Sorry, I'm sick. Public sin is going to require public uh, reproving of oneself and public lamentation of one's sin, public repentance. This is something which is required. So while this case is certainly um, not ideal, you can still do it if there's uh, some sort of requirement for doing it. Now, in the second case, you could be privately uh, guilty of another sin. But if he is secretly guilty of the same sin, he does not sin by judging another about the same sin. There's no risk of scandal in this case, especially when he does so with humility and with an effort to rise again. So while you are uh, privately or, or occultly, uh, that, that's my favorite uh, to point out that, yes, it's it's an occult sin. So while you are occultly uh, guilty of that sin, you can judge another for it. But you have to do it with a spirit of humility and with an effort to overcome that sin. Then Augustine uh, has a fantastic uh, statement right here. When necessity compels us to correct someone, let us first examine whether it is a vice, such as we never had. And let us reflect that we could have had it or that we once had it and no longer have it. And then our common weakness will prod the memory, so that mercy and not hatred will guide that correction. But if we discover that we are presently guilty of the same vice, we should not scold, but lament together and invite the other to join you in grieving. So I think that's a good uh, quote to, to finish off um, this short, short stream. So if you enjoyed this, uh, definitely subscribe, like, Share with your friends and consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash militantomus. It allows me more freedom to uh, make videos like this and to uh, and to do other things uh, that I like to do um, for this small apostolate of mine. So thank you and God bless.